right, everyone, we are live for the first edition of the Saw for Why vlogcast. Absolutely live. I can see the live chat. I see my man, Big Bet Matt Berkey, Alpha Reg himself. Hasn't worked out in a week, but it's all good, man. Way longer than a week. It's all good, man. I'm really excited for this episode, man. Seeing the people in the chat while I comment and while I host the show is a new is a new thing. Like I don't even think they do this on Sports Center. Like this is this, <laughs> Of course they don't do it on Sports Center. It's a fully Yeah. You know, they're this not shit is harder. We're we're bigger than Sports Center right now. Right. Like Great Torp in the back just like in my ear like Christian shut up don't talk about that. Mm. Like this this is no holds bar podcasting. I think Spotify needs to see this. Right. And just be like, "Wow, we should hand these guys 100 million dollars." Sure. Sure. I mean Joe Rogan podcast, Soul for Wife vlogcast, basically same thing. No, we're bigger than that. Joe Rogan don't fucking look at the comments in real time. That's because he has 10,000 of them. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if I had 10,000 comments, I swear to God, I will be in here saying like, yo. For 100 million, I'd, I'd go meet them all and shake their hand. Well, let's do that. Sure. What's wrong with you? Yeah. Like my man, Joe, Joe Volpe in here. That has never happened. How are you, Matt Berkey? I mean, you feel, I feel like you have a good vibe to you. I, I saw you this morning. You were out there in the sun, yeah. like fresh shaved. Yeah. You look like a, like a skinhead. Why? Because I shaved my head? It was like super shaved, though. It's it was, not It's as shaved as it's ever been shaved. Well, I saw it on Instagram. It looked, it looked, it looked extra special today. I'm not shaving until I get down to 19.8% uh, body fat. That's what I told the people. Wow, that's strong. Super I mean, fun. luckily, uh, it has nothing to do with body weight. So it's like you can grow all the hair you want. It's not going to matter. That's not going to impact the number at all. Exactly. Right. Uh, but I, it's, it's a motivation thing. It's like I'm just going to keep growing until the day comes. I don't even care if it's past November 4th. I'll still <laughs> keep fucking growing it until, until I get to that number, period. What if it's like 2021 December? You're home for Christmas. It doesn't matter. My parents already know the bet. Mm. You're just going to play Santa Claus? My parents have a piece of the bet. Did you know that? No. That's, that's, that's real. <laughs> they have a piece of the bet they they uh they like it so we had a little bit of a back and forth pre i came in at like 28.8 percent on the scale right which is not the dexa scan of course sure. um and you didn't like that you were like yo the scale's fucking bullshit you're probably like 32 percent I, I was like yo chill out bro why are you so <laughs> negative like why are you so shook right now I'm not shook. It feels like you're a little shook, though. Uh, I'm not shook, and I'm not being negative. I'm being mm. honest with you. I, I asked you a simple question. You didn't give me an answer. Do you well, know how the scale measures your body fat? Yeah, it's an electro, uh, electro currency. Right, but do you know the, the details behind that? No, tell me. Okay, so what it is... You built it, one before? No, but I've done research on them. Okay. What it does is it sends a small electric current up your leg mm. where, where you're standing on the scale. Mm. And the reason it does that is because fat is not conducive. Or, or conductive rather mm -hmm. so it's dip, more difficult to penetrate mm -hmm. that's how it measures however it goes from point to point contact so you're standing on two electrodes on the scale it goes from one leg to the other which means it only passes through your lower body so all it's measuring is the fat from your waist down so you're 28.8 oh that's good because like i'm really fat in my in my legs that's like where most of my fat is that's not true men carry most of their fat in their abdomen but i saw it on the dexa scan it was like most of my fat was in my legs okay i mean I don't know if you're saying like legitimately the majority of the fat you carry or percentage wise compared to the muscle like everywhere ratio. else. Yeah. No, no. Right. But most of your muscles also in your legs. Mm -hmm. So I'm saying like by ratio, 
that won't be true. The majority of your fat by ratio. So the majority of the fat you have to lose will be in your midsection. I'm super excited though. Okay, why? Like I'm super excited. Okay. Because like I think you're like dead. Like, well, I, why I, would you think I'm dead? Because because like in the planning phase with my trainer, we were like, okay, like if we're 30% right now, we got 10 we got 10% to go, like it's pretty good. Like we're planning for 30% in our head. Yeah. And then it came in at 28 and I was like, wow. Okay, oh, so you're ahead of that's schedule. Good. That's good. Yeah, in my head. Like in in terms of the plan, we're ahead Perfect. of schedule. Perfect. So like Man, this is going to be fun. I no, you're right. Because like you legit might measure but behind schedule. You might be 33. Oh, yeah. That'll be super exciting. Why? Because then like I'll just be all holds bar. Like if you think I'm 33 right now, like in my head, you telling me that I'm 33, like you're really fucked. <laughs> like you're really fucked. If, you, if, if I tell myself right now I'm 33, you're super dead. Like okay. the fact that I think I'm 28, you have like a little bit of a shock because I'm like, oh, all right, maybe I could have an extra cheat meal tomorrow right. or something like that. Yeah. But like now that you tell me I'm 33, ooh, it's on, baby. <laughs> it's on. You know, now my head says I'm 33. I'm not 33, but now I'm 33 in my head. Right. Oh, man, it's fire now, boys. <laughs> Woo. Woo. He told me I'm 33. Let's go. You've been watching too much ET. Oh, man. man. He told me I'm 33. You better run. You better run. You better fucking run. Oh, shit. Oh, man. This is the best thing that's ever happened to you. Yeah, it happened to me. We're going to see how... how oh, pay me that check. You're going to pay me that check. That's going to be the best thing that happened to me. Just 25000 straight into Bitcoin. Hello, uh, how you doing? How you doing? Hopefully, it's only one coin at that point. Oh, that would be nice, man. That would be really nice. Um, All right. So, Joe Rogan signs like 100... We don't really know. Like, a lot of like different reports came out. Mm -hmm. I saw numbers from like 100 million to 300 million. Okay. Like, I don't, either way, like whether it's 100 million or 300 million, obviously a huge difference. But like, uh, let's just look at the low number. Yeah. Say you got $100 million for his podcast. Mm -hmm. That's a crazy, crazy number for something that probably is just his passion, right? Well, at this point, it's it's not. It's It may well, have been born out of that. Right, right, right. But what do you think of something like that? Like... Is this just like media as a whole, just like getting not? I don't want to say swallowed up by like conglomerates, but like they're effectively taking like high value media, like Spotify. Now I know two podcasts that they just scooped up, right? Mm -hmm. They scooped up the Joe Budden podcast early, yeah, um, and then they scoop up now probably the biggest podcast in the world for Joe Rogan, yep, for a huge number, yep. Is this the play like that? Because we spoke about this a little bit in the car. Like, is this the play for them like kind of taking like big chunks of content out of YouTube? Uh, well, yeah, it definitely immediately allows them to compete with YouTube in a very different way. But YouTube has a different type of uh, business plan, right? So YouTube, if you think of it from like the baseball metric, mm -hmm. YouTube is the small market team that has a, an amazing farm system, similar to the Pirates, right? They'll just constantly be churning out talent that's in that early phase of their career. And then as they mature into superstars, they'll ship them along for more new and young talent. Mm -hmm. And they'll just continually recycle that process. It costs them literally nothing. The overhead's literally nothing. And they reap all of the rewards from uh, the, the benefits of having a low payroll and high talent acquisition, right? Spotify is the opposite. Spotify is the Yankees. Spotify is the Red Sox. They're a big market where they're just trying to purchase those superstars yeah. and have them all under one house. So Spotify sees this similar to um, kind of like a record deal play 
that we saw in the early 90s where you would see something like uh, Interscope Records or Def Jam or whatever, just scooping up all the talent that they possibly could. Right, you have a huge roster. Right, you try to have the entire roster under your umbrella, and then you move forward Def in a Jam way. Def Jam was fire, man. Yeah, they killed it. And, and honestly, a lot of that was them being first to market, right? Mm. They were early, or I guess like mid-80s with Run DMC, Beastie Boys, all of this young up-and-coming talent that ultimately allowed them to, to curate a lot more stuff in the 90s. But that model died. Spotify is ahead of their game in the sense that it's the digital model now. And they recognize that that market is pretty free. So right now with their music, if you go and stream something on Spotify, you can also buy that same song on iTunes. You can also stream it on Apple Music. You can also stream it on, you know, whatever. There are 30 different services that do the same thing Spotify does. But what they're doing with the podcast space is making it completely exclusive. Yeah. Right. They're snatching up Joe Rogan and saying, we have your exclusivity for X amount of years. Yeah. So I think that's why we've heard misreports or numerous reports about this. We don't know if he's getting a hundred million for one year or a hundred million for three years or mm. 300, uh, whatever. But what we do know is he has 200 million downloads a month. So if they paid a hundred million for him to him for even one year, that's only 50 cents a download. That's a steal for them. Right. They also scooped up Gimlet Media, which is a full pod podcast uh, podcast production house and they got them for a quarter billion so if you put it by comparison rogan might do 100 100 150 podcasts a year and they paid let's say 100 million they paid 250 million to acquire gimlet media as an entire entity right putting out crazy content they're, they're, they have like i think 25 or 30 different shows alone mm -hmm. that are constantly uh churning out content and they're always bringing in new um entities under that umbrella too so now Spotify is like the parent company to this sub company. Uh, I'm trying to think like how that would have worked in like the, the record industry. It was kind of like Interscope and Shady Records. Like it's like. Shady wasn't under. Yeah, it was under. I thought it was under Death Row. No, no, no. Okay, yeah. So, so yeah. Yeah, Shady. The, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, basically like as talent then branches off and creates a secondary sister company, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what you're seeing happening now with Spotify and Gimlet. So Gimlet will now curate all of this talent under their umbrella. Spotify will still continue to go out and get superstars that they'll just corner the market with like Button and and uh, Rogan. Oh, yeah. Right. So yeah, I mean, I think like it's, it's definitely demonstrating that we're turning a huge corner in multimedia content. There's, there's, there's people in the, in, in, the, in the microphone. No, I feel you, man. Okay. Um, okay. So I do want to talk a little bit about... Um, if it fits your macros, because I know that that's a little bit of a hot topic, you know? Sure. You don't like if it fits your macros. No. I was listening to uh, some scientists talk about if it fits your macros. Okay. Right. And they say it's 20% of the effort for 80% of the results. What do okay. you think about that? I, I need more context. What does that mean? Effectively, like, if it fits your macros, it's not perfect. Right. Right. There's flaws. Sure. But it gets you to 80% of the results that if you were like optimal, right? I think that's fundamentally false. I think the way that they're examining that is based on the standard American diet. Mm. So the average person who's consuming uh, a negative EV diet, let's, let's qualify it that way. If they then shift to, and if they fit your macros diet, then it'll immediately give them 80% better returns. But it's as simple as this, right? If... If you're talking about your macro breakdown being uh, 150 grams of protein, 100 grams of carbs, and 50 grams of fat, and we compare that to the exact same diet where on one of them, you, hate, you eat literally 100 grams of sugar, 
for your carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. And on the other one, you eat 100 grams of complex carbs. Mm -hmm. Do you think those two are going to perform the exact same? No, of course not. I don't think those are the exact same. But they both fit your macros. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how could we ever say that the type but of I think food... That, I think that's where that 20% is coming from. It's way more than 20%. Mm. Way more than 20%. If you, if you ate those two diets for 30 days where you had 100 grams of sugar a day and no other carbohydrate compared to 100 grams of complex carbohydrates every day for 30 days, you would see a massive difference physically and in your health. Well, good thing I'm eating potatoes, man. Sure. You're in trouble, man. You're still in trouble. <laughs> I'm sorry. All right. So we have uh, Jason Sue on the line. He is our new coach. He is doing something very different from like what we're used to. Yeah. Uh, he is like talking a lot about like how to transition from online, sorry, from live to online in like a more mental space mm -hmm. rather than like technical. And then we're filling in like the technical stuff, right? right. Uh, a lot of like mental game. I feel like he's our in-house Elliot Rowe, you know, kind of like. I think you're overqualifying Jason a little bit and underqualifying Elliot in that regard. But I understand. I love Elliot. Elliot. No, no, no I, I get dude. it. You know yeah, I get it. Uh, Elliot's my dude. I, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to boost my man Jason. Man, why are you trying to bring him <laughs> well, down? No, um, it's not that. I just think there's a hard divide between somebody who's interested in improving performance versus somebody who actually like has a background in psychology. Mm. You see, guys, what I have to deal with every day like he's just like i try to boost something up he brings it down try to boost up the brings it down I, i'm just trying to qualify things accordingly whoa spicy over here all right so i think we're gonna get jason on the line yep uh and we're gonna ask him some questions i feel like we should ask him a tough question what go ahead he's there he's right there what's up man what's, <laughs> what's up guys, guys? How's, it how's it going all right well we got some questions for you. We don't. We were we're supposed to prepare some tough questions for you, but <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll I'll let you off the hook for now. I'll, I'll talk right. some stuff. But tell the people a little bit about you, man. I feel like you're new on the scene. All the women are looking at you now, and how how are you feeling? Yeah, feeling good. I'm uh, I'm married for one, so there's that. Um, live in Colorado. I've been playing poker my whole adult life. Started off playing No Limit, Big Bet Games, uh, did the whole online poker thing when online poker was amazing before Black Friday. Moved out to Colorado afterwards. Uh, wasn't playing poker at the time. Found that they have really fun Limit poker games. And so I've just been playing Limit, mostly Texas Hold'em, mixed games for the last six or seven years. And a big focus of mine all through my life has always been about like how can I perform up to my capabilities as often as possible. So that's just always been an interest of mine. And I've been kind of doing some coaching with my students on those topics as well with pretty good results. So wrote the book. I'm here with you guys. I'm in the same sentence as Elliot Rowe. Not quite up to par yet, but uh, happy to just be in that conversation. So uh, tell me a little bit about the book uh, since, since we can naturally transition into that. Um, you know, Chin kind of opened up giving you a, a little bit of the hype. Uh, your, your background is largely in uh, developing EQ and things around those lines. I know that that was the performance element that you were writing about in the book. Uh, why don't you give everybody a little bit of a synopsis? Cool. Yeah, the book is called Poker with Presence. And essentially what I wanted to do was give people in the poker community some access to more of their emotional intelligence and body intelligence and the ability to just connect with themselves in each moment while they're playing so that they can get out of playing from a place of fear and projection and letting their emotions get the best of them 
and basically just give people tools to be able to stay in their chair, stay in the room, so that no matter what's happening, they can still perform and perform at a high level. Yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I, I think that that is uh, where Chin was kind of going whenever he, he gave you a little bit of comparison to Elliot. It does give you that, uh, I, I don't know, like almost like a performance coach of sorts. Like in college, I went to a sports psychologist and for me, that was a big turning point where, uh, especially being young, playing baseball, a game of failure, a game where uh, you know you can lose your starting job at any given time. And I had already been cut from one team. Um, it was it, it was a lot of roadblocks mentally to actually get over. And I think a lot of the stuff that uh, you've demonstrated in the book, as well as in the course that we're uh, collaborating on uh, resilience for the subsite, I think a lot of that stuff kind of demonstrates ways of acknowledging that that roadblock exists and also methodologies to get past. Jason, I got the book for free and I like that. Yeah, you did. I'll tell you, you that. Uh, I got the book for free. I was, I was like, damn, this is nice. Yeah. I could use mm -hmm. it. I feel like I give away so many things for free. It was nice to get something back. You know what I'm saying? Like it yeah. was, it was nice to get, it was nice to get yeah. something a little bit back, but, yeah. um, someone in the chat here, my man, Smalley Vegas says he can confirm your book is money. How do you feel about that? Your book is straight oh. money. Uh, I like that. I like that people think that it's going to help them a lot. Um, the feedback's been really amazing so far. And so it makes me feel really good to know that all the tools that I put together are helping people out there to actually like make more money. Cause a lot of people just put ideas out there and they're fun to talk about, but then people don't implement them. Mm -hmm. And so I just wanted to give people stuff that's like really easy to do in any moment to just make more money. What's your favorite piece of the book? What's your favorite piece? Hmm. I think it's, uh, the part on coming from your zone of genius. So I, I like that. Created a, a lot of people yeah. call me a social genius. So tell, tell me more <laughs> about that. You, you are a social genius. <laughs> so I wanted to create an exercise that would help people get into the frame of mindset of coming towards playing poker or just anything in life from doing the things that they're naturally amazing at. I think a lot of people, when they watch training sites or hire a coach, they try too hard to like put themselves in the exact framework and mindset and order of thinking that their coach operates out of. And that's just not going to be the best way to transfer the knowledge. And so I wanted to give people a way to easily get into a frame of mind where they're going to come at any activity from a point of view that's going to make them more successful and make the experience easier in general. And then from that place, you can retain a lot of information and understand the message that the coach or the training site is trying to give you. So we're doing a video series with you, myself, and Berkey, right? Who do you like working war with, man? Me or Berkey? Man, that just that just depends on like what we're talking about. All right, so tell me which one is which. All right, when we're talking about like uh, you know the nuts and bolts of things, <laughs> I think I think I prefer you a little bit more. But uh, you know, when it's more meat and potatoes. Berkey, <laughs> Yeah, nobody's gonna get this, but <laughs> right. it's it's a semi inside joke. On the last episode yeah. that we recorded, Chin ended it, or uh, sorry, Jason ended it with with uh, covering the nuts and bolts as a preview for the following week. And Chin just stops all day and goes, "What's a nut and bolt? Like nuts <laughs> that you eat?" <laughs> it's true. I feel like there's so many idioms thrown around. Like this is, this English language is weird, man. It's like, why don't you just say like, okay, next week we're gonna talk about these topics. It has to be like nuts and bolts and meat and potatoes and like, just say what you're gonna say, man. This is why this is why there's so many problems with communication with women, man. Like you can't like you're not saying what you want to say. Sure. Like sure. this is why people 
they get me, man. <laughs> this is this is this is the problem. All right, I got to follow up for you, Jason. Um, yeah. I I think this is a good platform to kind of speak about this a little bit. So, uh, you know, a lot of what we're talking about in resilience in the resilience course, as well as in your book, uh, it falls under that realm of kind of unquantifiable science, if you will. And I know that there tends to be a bit of a stigma attached to it, where it's a little woo woo, it's a little new age, and you know, I, I consider myself pretty open-minded on this, but I'm also, I, I definitely would be the first one to, to acknowledge, like, we don't know what this is accomplishing, but we also don't know that it's not accomplishing something. So I guess like, uh, can you speak a little bit to that, that stigma and, um, you know, what you do to like work around it? Yeah. So, I mean, there's going to be words that come up like flow or like in the zone, which are like not really absolutely quantifiable on a scientific level. But what I wanted to do with the book, what I, want, what I always want to do with my coaching is to give people things that they can feel inside themselves. So it doesn't matter if you intellectually understand what I'm talking about when I say like you're in the zone. But if I can give you an exercise to do for like two minutes and then after the two minutes you say, oh, well, I feel completely different. My energy is higher. I feel more focused. Then to me, that means like you're more in the zone. And so it's less about like understanding what the words are that we're talking about and more just about like trying this stuff out and then feeling how you feel afterwards. And if it feels better, you feel better, you're going to be more focused and play better, then I'm happy. Yeah, I, I think those are good metrics to, to abide by. Uh, you know, we see placebo effects take place in all sort of realms. So even if at the end of the day, somebody pokes holes in this and just says, hey, this is just a mental placebo of some sort. It's like, well, great, right? Like yeah. if, if that's what it takes to get somebody to play sharp, for more hours and for a higher volume, then that's fantastic. And I, I mean, I kind of personally, I can speak to whenever I went through this, uh, first reaching out to Elliot, I was super hesitant because it wasn't that I didn't want to try to dig in and figure out like the ways I may be self-sabotaging and things of that nature. It was just more so the idea that hypnosis was necessary or mindful meditation was necessary. You know, it's like, I grew up gritty. I grew up in a, in a lunch pail type of mindset where it's like, this isn't hard work to me, but it truly is whenever you kind of like peel it all back. It's hard to just patiently sit in one place for 30 minutes and try not to let your mind wander or, or allow it to wander and, and process all of that as well. Uh, I think that, you know, your book does an excellent job of this, uh, the, the resilience course as well. It speaks really heavily to just how complex and fragile the human psyche is whenever you put it into a performance arena and whether we like it or not playing a, a game that is so mentally taxing as poker, we have no choice, but to accept that reality. So, uh, you know, from my standpoint, uh, I can't recommend your book enough. It was a really easy read. I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, it's been a pleasure working with you on, on the resilience course. It's crazy to think that we've come this far, uh, given that you started as a student at the Academy, but if I could, go back to day one of beginning this whole thing. And you tell me that like, at some point I'd be working with a student firsthand as a colleague, like that would just be the ultimate dream come true to me. Put your applications in, <laughs> put your applications in. If you've come to the Academy, Berkey wants to work with you tomorrow. Okay. So Jason, where, where can they contact you, man? I am on Twitter at Jason B. Sue. That's Jason, the letter B and then S U. What does the B stand for, uh, Ben? Uh, it's my middle name. It's definitely not Ben. It's a uh, Borjan. It's a Chinese middle name. Close enough. It, it means uh, <laughs> it means like strong oak tree. That's that's what I've been told. I like that. 
<laughs> I mean, the spelling of that. Uh, that might be Chin's new nickname, Borjan. Yeah. That's right. I'm a yeah. fucking strong oak tree. That's 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 what's up. Uh, Borjan. Okay, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take a shot at it. Borjan. B O. It's definitely B J. Oh, it might be B J. No, no, I'm gonna go with the American, Dominican version. B O A R Borjan. J A N. You're close. You're close. It's a B O R J A I N. Man, that's Borjin. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks, bro. We really appreciate you All calling right. on. Thanks, guys. It's been a pleasure. All right. See man. you, Jason. Peace. All right. See you. All right, let's get back to the spicy stuff. I don't that was that was like too like emotionally connecting and stuff. <laughs> All right. So Berkey, you have a beef. You have a you have like a, a beef. I see you retweeting things. Not liking stuff. What are you talking about? I'm gonna tell you right now, man. What's your beef with ACR, man? What is what is the beef? I saw. I don't have a beef with ACR. I feel like you have a beef. I saw I saw a tweet out there. Yep. It was like, oh, Berkey. I don't know what's up with ACR. What if they, what if they run out of money? Like, yeah, they're not gonna run out of money, man. They're not gonna. I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm, I'm not gonna defend ACR. I'm not the lawyer for ACR. Mm. You know, but you tell the people like. What's your beef? And then I'm going to try to defend a little bit. Okay, first, it's not uh, with ACR. ACR is just the most prominent name in the in the gray zone mm. that I have beef with or I have hesitation in giving business to. Mm. Have you heard of a little thing called Black Friday? Yeah, I mean, that happened. I, I, I It happened, but it wasn't... Be, it was like the people... Like, are you saying they're stealing money? Are you saying... Wait, are you saying that they were stealing money? Is that why Black Friday happened? I'm saying that like... Well, tell me why Black Friday happened. I think... I think... Well, I wasn't like in the scene. Like, right. I wasn't... I wasn't like Christian Soto back then. I was still... I was still me. Mm. But like, I was like doing other things, you know? Sure. There's a lot of women in my life. Um. Anyway... So Black Friday happened because they, it was like kind of like a Ponzi scheme. It was, uh, they were like taking loans or whatever, like Eric Lindgren was like taking loans off the money off the player funds and then they didn't separate the funds. And that's what happened. So then they ran out of money or like they couldn't keep operating. And then the FBI was like, yo, where's all the money? No. Blah, blah, blah. That was the fallout from Black Friday. That's not why Black Friday happened. Okay, tell me. Black Friday happened because they were operating unregulated in the United States, mm -hmm. and it gave the DOJ cause to shut them down. In the process of shutting them down, everybody's assets were frozen. Poker stars kept segregated funds. Mm -hmm. Players were paid almost immediately. Within less than a week, we all had our money. Full Tilt took three or four years before payment was actually achieved, and only because poker stars bailed them out. Mm. PokerStars signed them. They bought them. They, yes, they, they bought them for cents on the dollar, but they also acquired all of their debt and had to make it whole in, a, in accordance to the DOJ's um, ruling, mm -hmm. right? And all of this was a play for PokerStars to get into the regulated market somewhere down the line, which they've accomplished. Okay. Nothing, none of that would have ever come to light if they weren't operating illegally in the United States. If they had their servers segregated out of the United States, if they had all of their operations out of the United States, if they never cared about ever setting foot on United States soil again, Full Tilt would have continued to operate as a Ponzi scheme for as long as it liked until it had a mass exit where it could just have an exit scam, right? Mm. So the second that they decided, hey, this has gotten too far out of control, we have X amount of liquidity and we have Y amount of debt on the books, let's just close up shop and disappear forever. They could just do that. 
And my point with ACR, with Poker Bros, with PPP Poker or whatever, and all these other gray sites is you're trusting that they just won't fold and close up shop overnight, mm. which they absolutely can do. And all the ACR shills who are in my in my ats and mentions that are saying like they're making money hand over fist, they wouldn't do that, yada, yada, yada. It's like as if they've never been scorned by a, a bad acting capital, capitalist before. Why wouldn't they do it? And why not now? There's more liquidity being funneled into these sites now than ever. The second that that starts to dry up, why wouldn't they just disappear? What's stopping them from just exiting the market and never paying anyone out? It already happened with Locke. What do you say? It already you, happened with Absolute. What do you say about the, the the people that are saying like, okay, well, ACR is owned by a bigger entity that has like more money than God. Like, what what does that matter? People people who have more money than God got more money than God by making profitable decisions. Mm -hmm. And if it's more profitable for them to close than it is to make their liquidity whole, they're going to do that. And there's no overseeing body that is forcing them to segregate their liquidity. There's no governing body that is forcing them to be good actors. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that says your money's safe. There is literally zero peace of mind when operating on any of these sites. I'll tell you right now, everybody should be concerned if suddenly there's a 20 million guarantee on ACR because that's going to be the mass exodus or at least it, it looks like the writing on the wall, mm. right? You f just, like, just like the writing on the wall for Full Tilt was when the re-entry tournaments became super popular. It was like they're just trying to funnel all their liquidity into these prize pools. And just, you know, the more people that go broke, the better, because that's less people that will be unhappy customers when this whole thing collapses. Hmm. It's not but, an accusation. But like why? I'm not saying they're going to do it. Yeah. I'm just saying that they're ripe for doing it. There's nothing we can do to stop it. And everybody's saying like, oh, I don't have to concern myself with the government seizing the funds. That's a good thing. The government being able to seize the funds is a very good thing. Mm -hmm. So the fact that our government can't oversee this and ever seize the fund gives us less protection. Now there's no DOJ to freeze their assets there's, and at least recoup some. There's good and bad, right? Because it's what's like, the good? The good is like if you have a hundred K score, you know, IRS is just saying you don't really know about it. You know, not saying, no. not saying, not saying that that's a good reason. I respect. Obviously, that's also our, not entirely all, true. All of our government laws. Well, that, you're certainly not immune to tax laws just because you acquire the money through a, a gray endeavor. Mm, I don't want to say. You could certainly skirt the taxes, but yeah. you can do that with almost everything. You can wash money. I mean, money laundering is a thing for a reason. Yeah, but I mean, this is, this is. I mean, if you get a hundred K score on WSOP.com, like you're getting taxed. Period. Sure. Right. If you get a hundred K score on ACR. You know, someone can pay, send you some PayPal. Someone can send you some cash. Yeah, there are certainly money. ways right, to, right. to launder the money, but that doesn't mean that like you're absolved. I'm not saying that people should do that, by the way. I'm just allegedly saying sure. that there's it's a much easier path sure. to not getting taxed sure. on ACR. Anyway, the whole reason I brought it up, and you know, maybe I was overlooking something, but a lot of this was just due to a lack of transparency, mm. is the majority of their funds are being operated through Bitcoin. Well, Bitcoin's a volatile product yeah. or, or a volatile commodity. So who's absorbing the volatility? And everybody certainly assured me that they're going through a third-party operator, which is freezing the funds the second somebody hits cash out, yada, yada, yada. But then I see Jonathan Little tweet today mm -hmm. that he cashed out at X amount, and he's still waiting. And Bitcoin has moved uh, in a few different directions since then. Right. So there's a lot of uncertainty. ACR responded to him, though. They, right. They said, like, hey, like, as soon as your thing is approved, that's the number. Approved is the, is the key determiner, though. Yeah. There's a lot of incentive for them to hold out on approval if they think the market's going to move. 
but it could work the, it could work against them. It's not like they have inside information of how Bitcoin was going to move. Like, so Sorrel Mizzy was also in the in the thread saying that Bitcoin Bitcoin moved in his favor and ACR just canceled the transfer, put the money right back in his account. I see. Yeah, I mean, this spicy, is what I'm talking about. Like they have all the power and control. But I'm sure there's people that like it went in their favor too. Like there has to be someone. Like it, it's not always going to go against them. Well, it's going to matter. I mean, amount yeah. matters. Right. Of course. You know, if it went in someone's favor for a hundred bucks as opposed to a hundred thousand. Mm. you know whatever but the whole point is that they're in the situation where they get to be in arbitrage if they want to be and now the the client is again accepting all of the risk so you're already in a risky endeavor where you're taking on a ton of front-loaded risk but then you're absorbing extra risk on the back end because you don't know if you're going to get paid you don't know if you're going to be paid timely and you also don't know if you're going to take on any volatility through that payment process and there's nothing you can ever do if there's if they just say hey you're going to take on all the volatility of bitcoin you think people are going to stop playing? No, of course. They're not. just going to say, I knew that risk going in. So yeah. I'm just trying to not allow the community to continue to turn a blind eye. That's all. Yeah. I mean, definitely opening the conversation, I think, is in our benefit, right? Like, well, I would wager against it. <laughs> no, I'm saying it's in our benefit in terms of like, hey, like, people, if we hit this number and we hit buy out, like, like cash out, like, we should get that number, like, right. not not the the number in a couple of days when, like, potentially it goes down. Okay, but say say that they don't give you that. Who holds them accountable? Matt Berkey, clearly. I have 97 people telling me why I'm an idiot in my mentions and two people saying, like, hey, maybe he has a point. No one cares, man. They just mm -hmm. want to play. They would rather lose all their money. That's why there's a market, right? There's, yeah, there's but so, like, such high demand, right? Sure. But, like, it's it's preying upon ignorance, right? It's people being ignorant enough to believe that they can beat taxes that are larger than any skill set can overcome. This happens on Poker Bros all the time. I know, I know uh, agents that are making 30K a month bringing in one, two players. Yeah. That's For crazy. them to be making 30K a month means that the rake that the, the client plus the juice that the agent is taking right. is so great that the best player in the world isn't beating it. That's tough, man. Yeah, I've I've heard of some like really high rake, like one two, like they're effectively raking similar to, and these are like no, low numbers, like yeah. similar to the casino, like one two six dollar rake. Bigger. Yeah, I heard like right. three big blinds in like one two games. Yeah, that's tough to beat though. Plus an agent fee. Effectively, like when you cash out, you have to like pay the agent or whatever. Yeah, that's tough. Like that's so tough to beat. It's, it's almost impossible. Maybe. Long term, I mean, maybe in like a short run, there's gonna be plenty of people to say like I'm up X amount of dollars. Oh yeah, for sure. Because it does force like looser action, et cetera, et cetera. But like. All that loose action just immediately gets evaporated by the rake. Well, a couple questions in the chat. My man Poker Odyssey said, why would they buy full tilt? Just to be able to make a path towards legislation? Yeah. Yeah. It was it was strictly just to be able to get into the regulated market of the United mm -hmm. States. Everybody knows that the gold mine is the United States at the end of the day. But there's so many, so much red tape to jump through to to get this legalized here that you know, maybe it's regretful for them now. I'm not even sure. Yeah, they're probably like, oh, it wasn't even worth it. Like, they paid so much money and, like, they're just like... Yeah, okay. it's been five years in a regulated market. They're probably not doing all that well here and they don't give a shit about poker anymore. Yeah, they're just like, whatever, man. Like, we give up. Jersey's not worth it. Right. All right. We're going to bring on our second guest, my man, Matt Hunt. He is our overseas... What do they call that? Like, when you study overseas or whatever, like... Uh, exchange student? Yeah, he's our overseas exchange teacher. <laughs> and uh he's on he's on man he's 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 a little bit extra white uh and and we love him and it's all good what's up man that's a that's probably one of the weirdest descriptions of me anyone has ever given he's a little bit extra white and we love him thanks well, jen he's really the least great, flattering 
intro what a I've great ever introduction. heard in my life. Well, what do you want me to call you, man? Like you, you. I'll hype you up. You want to be hyped up? All right. Well, look. No, I look. I I don't have the ego that you guys do. I don't need a hype intro every time I come on. All right. I like I'm that you good. said. I like that you said you guys and not just me because this man right here in front of me definitely likes his ego boosted. That's why hey, I start the show every time with like big arms, Berkey. You know, whatever. Let's be honest. When I say you guys, I'm talking about the entirety of America. Us Europeans don't quite operate on the same sort of scale. This is why I said exchange teacher. You That's because we won the war, man. Yeah. Wow. We're, yeah. We're pumping I guess our so. chest. I guess so. Wait, which war was that? I thought we were. I thought we were a team on World War II. Which war do you think it was? <laughs> in, in what high-profile occasion thought, do you think America was at war with Britain? No, I mean obviously you guys try to own us and shit. Like, don't don't try to own us, man. Like we. Oh, man. I can't breathe. But please come save me. Yo, this is the thing you guys I'm don't trying, know. Buck. Remember when I started the show and I was like, listen, like, uh, this is actually pre pre production. Like, I try to act dumber than I am so that you guys feel extra comfortable. But, oh, like, but it's all good, man. All right. Yeah, you, you try to act dumber than you are, but then you're like, uh, five minutes ago, you're like, well, before I was Christian Soto, <laughs> as I am now. You know, you're like, but before I was this this man that I that you see before me the, now. Uh, like, the entity that is. Ago. That is Christian Soto. <laughs> I grow as a person as, as time goes on. Like, sure. you know what I'm saying? It's sure. like, it's like I grow as a person. I grow as a human. I also get better looking as I age. That's just how it works for me. You know what I'm saying? But I appreciate you watching the show before you come on. That's, that's a really good thing, my, my, my man. Like, <laughs> so tell us what you've been up to, man. It feels like you've, uh, I haven't seen you in a couple months now. You've just like, I know, right? You've been quarantined, like on the real, on the real, real. I've been, yeah, I know. I've been, I've been locked up, you know, my, uh, my wife is in a vulnerable category, so I, I've got to be pretty careful these days. And ultimately, I do the vast majority of work from my desk anyway. So uh, I I don't think my life has changed a ton, uh, except I've just replaced every hobby that I had or every like fun thing that I did that was outside the house with stuff that's inside the house, I guess. So it's been ticking along pretty well for me. I've actually been a little surprised by how similar it's been to what it would normally be. So it's not been a huge change for me, but uh, definitely looking forward to being able to get back out of the house again and get back to normal. Would you say there's anyone on earth who would be happier to be in quarantine during a Vegas summer than you? Probably not. <laughs> um, I mean, the the reality of it is that at this time of year now in particular, like I wouldn't be going out much for the next three months anyway. So the only difference is I'm going to be spending it at my desk instead of in the Rio. And that's basically the only thing that's, that's changed, you know? Right. Yeah, you're right. No, that makes, that makes total sense. Um, what have you been getting? I mean, obviously like, you know, speaking a little bit to the company sense of things, we are, mm -hmm. we are, we're scaling way back. We uh, sure. are, are, you know, producing a lot less content. So you're not really creating courses as you had, as you have been, we are rolling out homeschool again for the second iteration, mm -hmm. uh, beginning June 1st. First, can you speak a little bit to that whole process, uh, you know, what's going to be adapting in this second mm -hmm. iteration? And then secondly, when are we going to get you live streaming, man? When are we going to get me streaming? I don't know. You're going to have to talk to Nick Howard about that because I'm, uh, I'm, I'm on board with Poker Detox now and he's got me under a non-disclosure agreement for all that data. So you're going to have to work something out with him where I can stream without like giving away all the secrets. We'll so, have to get you uh, on the micro stakes or something. Just have you punting off. Yeah, we'll just we'll just have me like we'll we'll play we'll have me play on some site that Detox doesn't care about, and yeah, we'll just get me playing micro stakes cash or something like you know something fun. Yeah. But uh, what was the first question? I forgot about it. Uh, just uh, the, your your first experience with the the first iteration with homeschool, and then oh like, what's yeah changing? yeah 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 homes so homeschool was a great experience. It was it was really interesting teaching in a a classroom format that was 
obviously way, way bigger than any academy class we've we've ever taught um, and bigger than the vast majority of teaching environments I've been in before. You know, I've, I've been in like in-person environments where you've been teaching or like facilitating training sessions and things with large groups of people, but it's very different doing that online and it's different doing it in a format where you're trying to balance out um, you know, teaching a lot of complex theory versus giving some visuals that people can latch onto through using technology and tools and solvers and things like that. So it's a really interesting experience building out content for that. It's it's certainly a challenge, but it's one that I think we all rose to pretty well the first time around. And second time around, I think we're gonna have the ability to learn from some stuff that was a little trickier the first time. So we're gonna be streamlining, I think, the usage of some of those tools. We're gonna be using some software that without going into the specifics, we're just going to be using stuff that's a little easier uh, to, you know, to visually interpret the the results. We're going to be using some slightly different solver tools and uh, hopefully giving people a little bit of a, an easier window into some of the more advanced concepts. So it's going to be interesting to see how the second group responds because with any within any teaching environment, any different classroom you get, different groups of people. And, uh, if we get 75 people again, this time around, it could be a completely different kind of vibe, depending on exactly what type of players we have in that group. So I'm looking forward to seeing what it's like. There's a lot of questions in the chat about your sexual frequency going either up or down during Corona, (laughs) given that there's a lot of questions in the chat. Are there, there's a lot of questions in the chat about that. How dumb do you think I am? You honestly think me? To, you honestly expect me to believe that one person in the chat asked that question? I believe There's one. No chance. I will believe one for sure. I don't believe I, a single person I, in the I, chat I, asked I that question. I would take the under on two, though, for sure. I would Matt. take well, the under on one. I haven't looked at the chat, but I'll take the under on one. Well, there's 16 now that we brought it up. All right, man. That's all good, man. I mean, you know, whatever. All right. So, how, how have you been doing poker-wise, though, uh, during this? I know you're playing like pretty much every day. Uh, I, you know what? I'm actually not. I, uh, I'm still splitting between playing and coaching and mm. uh, trying to take days off where I can because I think the the frustrating thing about being like at home is it's just easier to to kind of get that cabin fever. And I, I've been feeling like I need the, a little bit more time off than I usually would do. Um, so I've not been like grinding super hard, but I've been doing well. Um, I, you know, I've been like I said, I've been studying a lot of the the poker detox content that Nick and the guys are putting together. Been working with a lot of the detox guys, doing some coaching with them. Uh, we've had a lot of great results there on the on all the all the high quality sites that us here in the US of A don't get to play on anymore. Um, you know, we've been having a lot of a lot of guys out there performing on those sites. So I've been coaching some of those guys, doing some data analytics work and things like that. So I've been mixing it up between playing and a few different things. But on the playing front, it's going pretty well. Um, yeah, can't complain for sure. So you worked with uh, Berkey and I on this homeschool thing, right? I did. Who do you like working more with, man? Who do you like working more with? Is it Berkey or, or me? Like, who do you like working? Like, you know, who who provides like a more calm state for you? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll flip it around on you. Who do you think I work with more frequently? I don't know. You don't leave the house. It's tough. Uh, changing gears. Are you guys, are you and your wife or even just you solo planning on doing any traveling once uh, the borders start to open up? I know you kind of mentioned that uh, you were considering Canada for a while. Yeah, I'm, I'm really thinking about it. Uh, it's going to, it's going to depend on what the situation is by the time we get to that point. Um, but I think that given 
the sort of slowdown in a lot of areas and and given that there's a pretty big uptick in online right now, depending on whether that uptick lasts for long enough that it kind of goes through the whole summer, there's a reasonable chance that I'll make a trip to Vancouver, somewhere like that, to to play WCOOP on PokerStars, to be able to, you know, play on some of the major sites again, uh, just because there's there's a lot of action out there and, um, you know, ra railing a lot of these detox guys in, you know, Sunday Millions and Scoop events and things like that. It's it's making me uh, making me very, you know, excited to have a chance to go back and play on a, a nice, you know, reliable, regulated site again where uh, we have huge prize pools and we don't have to worry about getting our money locked up for years, you know, so... Uh, I'm I'm probably going to head to Vancouver if I get the chance, but it's all subject to whatever the situation is at that point. Like I can't for sure say I'm definitely going at a certain time. I just hope that things are clearing up a little bit by the time we get to August or September kind of time. And fingers crossed, I'll get the chance to head to one of my favorite cities in the world, Vancouver. So uh, you, you kind of mentioned something I want to touch on uh, the, the current boom in the online state. Uh, right. I'm not sure if you saw or not. Pads wrote an article recently. Um, or actually it wasn't even that he, he's, he created a Twitter thread, right. uh, maybe a week ago or so kind of mentioning mm -hmm. the problems with how sites are operating during this current boom. And, right. uh, for me personally, it echoed a lot of the sentiments that I've been kind of projecting for quite some time now. Uh, I, I guess I'd be interested on in hearing, like, what do you think your thoughts are for the current landscape and how sustainable is this moving forward? I, I would imagine that you and I probably have pretty similar thoughts on it. I think that there's a lot of stuff that Pad said that was largely correct in terms of the sustainability of it. And I think that the the in in large part, what people kind of don't want to acknowledge about poker is that the the bigger the edges you allow for somebody to have, like the more of a skill game that you make it, the faster people go broke, the faster the money flows towards the top. And when you have events running with great structures consistently with high buy-ins, lots of action going around, that sounds great on the surface of things. But what ends up happening is either a lot of these guys are breaking even and they're just kind of passing money around and then the rake is going to the site, which is being taken out of the economy. Or you've got guys that are winning and guys that are losing at those stakes and then the money is just flowing upwards much, much more rapidly because it's being played at such high stakes. And there might be, you know, at any given time, there might be a few hundred K taken out of the economy of any given site when a certain high stakes pro wins a tournament and just, you know, banks that money and keeps the rest of his bankroll in there. Um, and so you, you just kind of get this rapid upward flow where it becomes hard for the mid stakes and low stakes scene to, to really be sustainable. So, I, I think there's a lot of concern that's really valid in that area. I, I think the problem that a lot of people have is we just, we don't have the numbers and the data to know what the actual best policy would be on the part of the site. Cause we're expecting that the sites are doing the research about what is actually attracting wrecks, what is actually the motivation for why they deposit. But we don't know that. We're just trusting that they're doing that research. And we feel like we know better in a lot of cases, but we don't really know whether we do or not because we don't know how much they know and we don't know how much information they're actually gathering about exactly what the best policy is. Mm -hmm. And I think if we could, if we could trust that they were really doing their homework and not just taking the short term money grab, then I think we'd all feel a lot more comfortable. But the reality is it's so hard to trust that in any circumstance and especially in a circumstance like this, where 
you kind of know that things are only going to last for a few months as the way they are. Uh, it's hard not to think that what most sites are probably going to do is just take whatever short-term profit they can get. And then if they end up, if the, if the ecosystem is damaged long-term, maybe they'll just pivot and deal with that as it comes, you know? Yeah. What, what's your take on, uh, well, both of you gentlemen, what's your take on GG? Like huge spike in growth short term. What's your take on that ecosystem? You know, obviously us as Americans don't have like a great insight, but mm -hmm. their growth has been like exponential placed top tier uh, poker site now. What are your thoughts on that potential ecosystem? Can it thrive? Like what are they doing well? What do you think potentially could be done better? Okay. So my feeling on this is that a lot of, a lot of stuff that GG are doing looks really good. Um, but the vibe that I, the vibe that I get just in the back of my mind is that as there's some element of it that all feels a little bit too good to be true. So I like what they're doing. I think they're on the right track. They seem to be running great promotions, great series, great action, but there's something about it that just feels to me like setting up and running a successful online poker site can't just be this easy unless something weird is going on or there's something we don't know about that's happening because otherwise how have so many other sites been struggling for so long and i think you guys have made the point before that we don't know who manages gg we don't know who's in charge and i don't think that makes them inherently untrustworthy i just think that it would add to their reputation as a very reliable site and not just like an overnight success story if people knew not just the pros that were representing them, but the people who were running the site, if they were as visible as someone like Rob Young is. Mm -hmm. So I think there's, there's some unknowns, there's some doubts, and there's some questions that we don't know answers to as to how they got so big so quickly. But they seem to be doing a lot of things right. And they seem to have good tournaments. All the guys I know that play on there really like it. So uh, I have nothing bad to say. I just have a lot of unknowns. Yeah, I, I think that um what is maybe being overlooked is their competitive advantage is that they have the asian market tapped <laughs> and none of the other sites are able to do that so it just immediately puts them as a front runner to replace stars when it's all said and done you know they're, they're tapping into a billion person market that mm -hmm. nobody else has access to um and i think the next site that becomes this popular this fast will be whoever can breach the indian market next uh-huh. Yeah, that seems reasonable. All right, man. We appreciate you coming on. Likewise. It's I, good. always good to talk to you guys. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, I'm glad you like working with me more than Berkey. I'll see you later. <laughs> I'll see you later, guys. Bye-bye. All right. So some questions in the chat. My man, Joe Volpe. Yeah. He's asking a question for us. Okay. He wants to know. Yeah. What changes should the casinos make to get people back in the rooms when the time is appropriate. There are some there are some rooms that are opening up right now, Hialeah in in Florida. Mm -hmm. There's some there's some other rooms opening up uh, I've seen with the glass. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the whole opening up? When announced that they're gonna open up without the sorry, without the poker room. Yeah, I think that's smart. Uh, I, I think that's genuinely smart by them. I think poker should be the last thing to resurface. Um, just it being a community game rather than just a dealer V player. Uh, type of game more just is going to get spread via the chips via human contact whatever so i would be very slow and hesitant to reopen live poker in any capacity um i think as far as major changes go there really probably shouldn't be 
very much outside of maybe a better chip washing protocol. Uh, I think that anything that's going to incentivize the casinos to sanitize their chips more frequently mm. would be great. But outside of that, I really don't think we have that much to change. And if protocols are beginning to be put into place where they are changing, we're probably just reopening too soon. Texas Cardhouse, we were there. Yeah, they're crazy out in Texas. They're opening tomorrow. I know. I heard. Um, I don't know. Maybe I see my man Boots out there. He, <laughs> he's, he's out there. Uh, crazy hand we played. Obviously, Ace King versus the three five zero. Yeah, that was uh, you know, we put it in a little, little almost twenty thousand. Yeah, it's kind of nice. Yeah, that's a fair. Result. I might, I might take a risk for that one. I, I might, I might go out there and be like, listen, man, if you got Corona, whatever, man, put it in three five offsuit versus <laughs> <laughs> whatever, man. Let's go. That's fine with me, man. I'll take. You know, they can't. I don't know. I think I'm, I might take a shot. But uh, yeah, man, I feel like it's it's too soon for poker. I think. But I mean, the the problem is, is that there's still so much unknown. And the more data rolls in, the less deadly this virus is appearing to be. So I think people who were, you know, it's the pendulum effect. People were hyper vigilant about trying to, to, to flatten the curve because there was a thought that it was a super deadly bug. Mm. Now the data is kind of proving that it's only true of people who are in the high risk categories. And generally speaking, uh, it's it's more like one in a thousand or one in five thousand if you're if you're in the healthy range that you actually die from something like this. So I think that's giving people a lot more uh, confidence, I guess, to get back into social situations. But the issue is that we don't know the duration it will take to achieve uh, a vaccine, and it seems like it may be getting close between the point of being able to reach herd immunity versus having a vaccine come out like it seems like those timelines may actually coincide with one another and if that's the case then from the best of my knowledge from what i've seen what we would what we would be smart to do would be opening the country up like section by section almost right so like very very slowly just allow areas to reopen allow herd immunity to be achieved there and then like you know regress etc cetera, etc cetera. Uh, my best anticipation of what I think is going to occur is we're going to see a second wave late, late fall, early winter. We're just probably going to reopen things too soon because of the economic crisis that's mm. inevitable. And we're very likely to just be on lockdown again once the winter rolls around. But, you know, of all times of year for, for that to happen, um, the holidays and, and early New Year and things like that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if the, comp or if the country was just kind of put on lock. A lot of people canceled their flight to vegas now like a lot of people are like okay well yeah why would you come yeah they canceled their flight here a lot of questions around when should we play wsop then like is it that's obviously a lot of people look forward to especially recreationals like recreationals yeah. look forward to wsop because that's 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 when they are like you know they take like two weeks off come play come play the you know, the opening event, which is usually like a 550, mm -hmm. uh, and it's like a million to first, all these things. Now what? I mean, what I would say is if I were Caesars and WSOP, I wouldn't be the one to set the precedent. I wouldn't be the first tour to open up. Mm. I certainly wouldn't be the testing ground or the Petri dish, right? I would ensure that somebody else took that risk on first. Let it be HPT, let it be EPT, let it be WPT, whatever. Mm. You're way too big of a brand. And you have way too big of a, a, a likelihood of drawing mass crowds yeah. to be the one who just like, you know, like if we're talking about festivals or, or whatever, like you don't just begin with the largest of them. Right. Right. You test it at smaller groups. And 
I think until sports return, this is a non-issue. Uh, mm-hmm. There's nothing to discuss. If if we can't get to the point where we have twenty thousand people in a baseball stadium outdoors, there's certainly no way in hell we're going to be running the Colossus in a casino somewhere. Yeah, I think we're going to see probably an online series. A lot of people are waiting for it. A lot of people are like, okay, when are we going to see the online bracelet? Like, they, they should just roll out. Yeah, this is definitely online, definitely going to take place. An, an online bracelet event. But then it becomes the question of like, okay, well, how much does that bracelet even matter? Because like, it's only going to be available in if you live in these states. You I know? was talking to Andre about this yesterday. I, I think it's necessary from a business standpoint for WSOP to do this. But I think it is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that ultimately we're probably going to see something where they do something for people who are out of the country. They do something for people who are in the country and it's this massive diluted version of the WSOP that just doesn't mean fuck all, mm-hmm. right? Like the 10 K main event that they run, be it here or be it rest of world or whatever is not going to be the world series of poker main event, right? Right. right. It's going to be the scoop main event that's full of killers that isn't soft that carries no prestige you know it's just not in any way shape or form going to be the same Mm -hmm. Uh, and that goes across the board for every single event because now if you start looking at the classes being like let's say it's a hundred dollar buy-in instead of a five hundred dollar buy-in it's like it's just they're different worlds man they're different worlds there's this disconnect between being at the Rio physically, seeing the bracelet winners on stage, having the buzz in the room and like wanting to have your name called out while you win that that precious gold that's so hard to acquire, as opposed to just sitting in your underwear for eight hours, shipping something for six figures and having to give a shit about this trophy that's mailed to you. All right. Well, a lot of rumors that we have Andre on call right now, ready to talk to us. Andre. I feel like you and I have worked more in the last 2.5 months than we've had worked together in the last three years, which has actually been pretty nice, which has actually been pretty nice. Uh, We did a couple of commentary for GG together. We did a podcast together. You choke slammed my friend Conrad, and that was fun for me to watch together. Uh, Tell us what you've been up to in the last month. I feel like you've been a, a busy man. Yeah, man, I'm out there trying. You know, a lot has happened with this whole COVID thing. Obviously, Run It Up has kind of, uh, you know, closed its doors temporarily. We'll see how it comes back. I mean, we really want Run It Up Reno to happen. But guys, like, when are we getting back to eight-handed? That's, mm. what, 2022 maybe? I don't know. You know, like, there's there's a lot of confidence. Consumer confidence is the most important thing when it comes to getting people back into the casinos to start playing again, to feel comfortable, to, to enjoy everything again without, you know, it's like playing poker and you have crushing debt. It's always in the back of your mind, right? Like you don't want to feel like that. And that's how I feel poker is just with something completely external, uh, over the entire population. And that, that's the big problem that we're, we're facing. So I don't know really when we're doing our run it up stuff. So in the meantime, we're just hanging out. I felt like, you know, Throughout my career, Jason has definitely been the number one person that I've trusted the most, and uh, I, I really respect all of his opinions. But now I have one and a half more people that I can trust all the time, and that's the two of you. 
I'm glad you trust me as holy and Berkey for sure. 0.5. Obviously, people know that like I was like I was a huge Jason Somerville fan. Like in the beginning when he was uh, before Twitch, he was on YouTube, right? Playing on Ultimate Ultimate Poker, right? And I didn't tell us like how the whole run it up thing even started. Like how did you get involved in it? How did it how did it grow? So yeah, it's kind of crazy. I, my my history is very StarCraft based. So I was a StarCraft two and StarCraft one pro gamer. Uh, in StarCraft two, I um, I was doing all the whole competitive scene, but the way I saw getting into full time esports was to start broadcasting, and I, I really took that seriously. Went and uh, we we started a company together in 2011. Um, with uh, a pretty toxic guy, to be completely honest. Like the guy, um, by the end of it, he was just, uh, you'd walk into the office at 11 a.m. and he would just stink of booze, like mm. hard alcohol. But when you have someone that's that hands off with everything, what ends up happening is the people that you hire learn everything. And that's where I really got all of my experience with producing, with writing, with uh, you know the tech side of things, with how a good show is constructed, with how to communicate to the audience and um, even speak. You know, one of the, some of the cool things that they did was they hired the Jack Black, um, the Kung Fu Panda voice actor, mm. and he came in to teach us how to talk to an audience, how to speak to everyone. You know how. If I say a single sentence like, uh, I didn't eat those cookies, that was the sentence that he, that he taught us. You can say that sentence and have so many different meanings. I didn't eat those cookies. I, did, I didn't eat those cookies, right? Like there's so many ways to say that sentence and have different meanings and stresses. And it really made me realize that storytelling is in so many different ways, not only visual, but when you listen to me, I used to, you know, I used to talk a lot more monotone, very analytical, a little bit like this. But it made me realize that when you're tuning into something, it's like tuning into Spotify. You want variety. You want spiciness. You mm. want to go up and you want to hear it go down all the way. You want long pauses. And sometimes it's you want that staccato. And if you don't have that variety in there, then people hate listening to you. And that's why I think Krishna and you, Berkey, both of you two have such an extremely strong way of communicating to the public because you have these natural skills that I don't think anybody trained you guys on. No, that's, that's because we grew up – well, we grew up in a, a Spanish and Italian household. So you know, I, I can't speak for him, but like for me, it was whoever spoke the loudest got the, the last word and you know you're using your hands. Oh, you're yeah. very animated. And well, it's, it's funny too because it tends to be – that um, the more educated you are, uh, the less you know inflection and intonations that you have, uh, and, and it comes down to vocabulary. That's why you're such a uh, enigma, Berkey. Because good word. good word. Because you are able, you know, a lot of times people move their hands all over and they they talk with weirdness when they don't have a very extensive vocabulary right so they have to kind of shift and make people understand it with their hands it's just a, a natural thing that people do um and in doing so they have this really great music that comes along with their voices whereas you have the vocabulary um and you also have uh the way of speaking that makes you so easy on the ears sure 
Sure, Andre, you're you're a man after my own heart. I gotta tell you. Yeah, right. I'm, I make you look good, man. That's the real truth. That, that's 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 the that's the secret sauce that people don't really see. Is like I make I bring you up, and all you do is bring people down. All we've seen today is like, oh, Berkey brings people down. Oh, you're not 28 percent body fat. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, we'll see, man. We'll see. Uh, uh, talk to me, Andre, right. about so, your future plans, though. Well, let me let me continue on that because I sidetracked. I okay. definitely tend yeah, to yeah. do this. Okay, so after esports, it was a it was. Again, really toxic, but I learned a ton. And um, at that time, uh, in 2011, actually, I met Jason. And Jason was really into StarCraft at that time. We started up a training site together. Um, didn't work out. Fast forward to 2014, he's like, hey, I need a producer to come help me with this YouTube show. And really what I needed is an all-in-one guy, which I had the perfect skills for. So um, came on to run it up. That's where we really started the YouTube shows together. Um, so we weren't on Twitch yet. Uh, that's where, you know, I was editing all his videos. I was helping out, changing the sets out, doing merchandise, uh, literally doing everything outside of him just sitting there and streaming and, um, you know, recording all the videos that he needed to record. So, yeah, I became an all-in-one. And uh, Ultimate Poker. So do you guys know how Ultimate Poker died? Uh, no, actually. it was. I, I thought that, like, UFC just, like, pulled the plug on it. So I, I got to say, I don't know if it's actually true, true, and but this is what I heard, and I, I'm almost positive this is what happened. Um, okay, so to be inside New Jersey or Nevada, you need to be partnered with a land-based casino. That mm. was one of the stipulations for land or online gaming. That way, you know, the casinos wouldn't get fucked with everything. Um, Ultimate Poker made this deal with one of the casinos that when they deposited, all that deposited money comes from goes into the casino, and the casino eventually pays Ultimate Poker. Mm. Um, when a withdrawal happened, Ultimate Poker needed to have money at the casino for all those withdrawals to happen. So there was a bank basically inside of that casino um, that that did all that shit, right? Yeah, they were partnered um, with stations. Because uh, I, I used to cash out at Red yes. Rock. But that's not why they got, they got fucked. They didn't get fucked because of Nevada. They got mm. fucked in New Jersey. Oh, because uh, resorts or whatever it was. No, no, no. Okay, let me tell this story. Okay, Because yeah. so for three months or so, or some X amount of months, they weren't getting any money from, uh, from the casino. Uh, all the deposits just weren't showing up. And they said, hey, what the fuck is going on? And the casino ended up closing. Whoa! Yeah, you you know which casino it was? It's not resorts. Oh, it's, uh, it's, it's it the was Taj Mahal. Oh no way! <laughs> no way! So I thought it was. Trump, uh, you thought it was Trump the new one? Yeah. Is the reason why Ultimate Poker died? <laughs> That's crazy. That's crazy. <sighs> Who knew, man? Who knew? I didn't know that. No, I didn't know that. I thought it was like. Uh, like the newest one that, that they had out yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, the Regal or something like uh, that. No. I forget which one, now, which one again, it was, but yeah. Is, this is rumory. Yeah. Uh, I don't know for sure. I'm sure there were more things that fucked them over as everything is. Like that was just a single component. But I mean, obviously the Taj dying screws over Ultimate Poker so fucking much. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, what does, what does Run It Up do after that, right? We go to Twitch. All my connections were with Twitch. So I knew I knew the CEO and the COO of Twitch at the time. New is very loose, but you know, I had their number, yeah. which is 
good enough. Um, so I had their number. I was like, hey, we need to we need to switch over to Twitch. Can you help us out? We built this. Jason crushed it. Absolutely fucking crushed it. And then he said, hey, PokerStars called me. Do you want to move to Toronto? And I said, no. <laughs> so he went to Toronto to, to continue to build his stream. Um, I actually went back to streaming for a little bit. I did StarCraft 2 streaming. Uh, it was a grind, man. I did that for about a year. And I, uh, I had a meltdown because I was like, man, it feels like I'm not building into anything. StarCraft was shrinking. Didn't feel great. So I, uh, I took a year off and I just said, I'm going to commit this year to programming. And I, I really enjoyed analytics and data and statistics. So I just picked up some books, learned how to code, and I just went ham. And I built a, a, an analytics company in, I think, the start of 2016, 2017. So 2016, I started studying. 2017 is when I started the analytics company. That started easy, huh? Just like one year study, next year, you know, build a company. Yeah. I mean, you're, was, you're a legend. You're a legend of the game. Imagine I'm just like, awesome. yeah, 2020, I think I'm just going to like study a little poker. 2021, I'm just going to open a poker company. Yeah. Welcome, <laughs> welcome to a high performer. Yeah. I mean, uh, see, now Berkey's building you up. He, this is this is how he plays the game. This is how he plays the game. Oh, welcome to a high performer. You, what, what he's really secretly saying game is Game recognized like, game, man, you know? Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, now he's building himself up. Go ahead. Go, continue. Continue, man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I cut you off. With no, me. you're good, man. <laughs> so uh, I built up that company. It was doing well. 20, that was uh, beginning of 2017 into um, September 2017. Jason came back. Mm -hmm. And um, it was about a year and a half of him streaming up in Toronto. And he's like, hey. I want to start up this new company called Rendered Up Studios. It's going to be still producing content, but what we want to do is really help facilitate the other streamers so they don't realize burnout nearly as fast. Right. So we can help facilitate all the skills that I've learned throughout streaming. We want to make sure that they have it. So, you know, whenever you see streamers up and you see like their microphones or uh, their, their settings, their graphics, a lot of them originated from us or is still our stuff. You know, Jeff Gross's microphone is still ours. Finton, Spraggy, Lex, all their microphones and their audio equipment, how they're set up is us, you know. So we helped facilitate a lot. And I'm not going to take credit for any one of those, uh, but we definitely helped. Th that, that's what I, I, I like to say. And uh, I'm very proud of that. Um, and then COVID happened. And yeah, here we are. Where do you, where do you see this? medium or platform moving forward i mean you know you, you and i we talk a lot about this stuff off the air and uh what it looks like moving forward um i guess like not just within the bounds of twitch but within the bounds of content creation as a whole like how do you see this kind of like growth pattern that's taking place extending itself into poker and then also into to lateral um communities outside tell us how we get the check from spotify well, you know, I've seen a consistent model in a lot of the games that I've played and really comes down to the community building around a grassroots company and for that grassroots company to honestly be a lost leader for a lot of the time. Um, you know, in StarCraft 2, we had a guy named Day9 and he literally would cast every single tournament and put on training, free training uh, videos every single day. And it was a place and a community for everybody to come together daily or weekly or whatever it was and just talk, hang out. And a lot of different pockets of communities sprouted out of Day9's channel. 
in Dota 2, it was a company called BTS, Beyond the Summit. And they would literally cast every single tournament they can get their hands on. A Dota 2, 2 a tournament pops up for $1,000, boom, they're there to cast it. And that's something that we don't really see in poker, right? Like everybody, because there is a lot more cash injection into the whole scene, a lot of people want to be compensated for that. And rightfully so. I mean, poker is a lot more mature than esports in many, many ways. But what we are missing is like that scoop tournament just happened. Um, who was casting the final table? I know easy with aces was, but why is it just a single person? Um, there, there isn't a lot of coverage. We don't know. Easy with Aces doesn't stream every single huge final table across all the platforms. And it sucks because it's only people dedicated to poker stores. Or it's only people dedicated towards uh, party poker or GG poker or whatever. And really, these, all these tournaments should be celebrated. When we see a huge record-breaking number, everybody's happy in the poker scene because that means the livelihood of all of our future is there. But that place doesn't exist, and it's so costly and so time-consuming to do it at this point um, that it's it's hard. Also, I've never seen a more toxic community than poker, unfortunately. Poker is super toxic. You do one thing in good faith, and it doesn't get received that way. And that that's a damn shame. Run It Up did that a lot, and... You know, we had haters all around the place, you know, and it, it just it would hurt because I felt going into it. Jason and I were of the purest intentions to do good for the community and the world for poker. Um, and it still maintains that. And, you know, somewhere along the line, people just find ways to shit on everything. Yeah, I, I think that that hurdle in and of itself is one of the most difficult to overcome, um, just in the sense that. It's always going to be a hard divide. We're so tribal in nature that people just want to align to something. And if they don't, if you don't fit that narrative, then they, they are like disaligned to you. Right. So it's, it's, it's kind of like choosing uh, a team in a sport and paying your allegiance to that while absolutely hating its next closest rival. It's silly when you're talking about it in the terms of community, right? Um, it's so toxic in a sense that people want to believe that there is only one specific way to play this game. People want to believe that there's only one specific way to broadcast this game, to televise this game. And if you don't meet those standards, albeit contradictory because some people prefer the Norman Chad and Lon McCarran. Some people prefer the Nick Shulman and Ali Najad, right? And some people prefer like the the middle of the road where it's like maybe something high level, something low level kind of uh, coinciding with one another. You can't please everybody. And in this specific community, when everybody's not pleased, the loudest voices are those that are, are quick to tear something down. Yeah. Another big problem, especially in poker, uh, is that positivity has, is a mar has been turned into a marketing tool rather than uh, a way to... Um, you know, build your business. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to be able to distinguish the, they're not necessarily bad actors, but the disingenuous, the, exactly the yeah. disingenuous actors from the people that really want to, you know, just put their best foot forward. Right. Yeah, I think that's fair. What, what were some of the like, you, you speak a little bit about the hate that you guys got, like, what, what, like, does something come to mind? Because like, I, I always viewed you 
and Jason as like very positive in pretty much all of the things. Like I was like a, one of the like original like supporters of you guys, like early, early on. Like it, Jason was the reason I even met Berkey was because he was like, I don't have time to coach you, man. Go to Berkey. You know, that, that's kind of mm -hmm. what happened. So, so give me like an example, like what, like what were some of the negative things? Because like, I don't really see anything negative with, like, I don't associate anything negative with run it up. Yeah. I mean, we would get the poker star sellout shit all mm. the time, which I thought we were the farthest thing from that. Um, we would get, um, I mean, I guess just standard hate, uh, especially cause obviously Jason's gay. Mm. Um, so he would get that nonsense. Um, so we had to purge that a lot on Twitch. Uh, and then I'm one of his best friends. So of course I'm his butt boy. I'm used to it back in Starcraft two. I, I got death threats daily, which is like crazy, obviously. Um, but yeah, like it's just, you get to a point when you are on the, on the screen regularly that people always have something to say and you're not going to please everyone. And that's okay. I'm completely fine with that at this point. What do we do to solve this? Right? Like, again, we could beat a horse to death. Uh, as far yeah. as like all the problems in the community, but what does this look like uh, as far as like a growth pattern moving forward? Is it even possible or are guys in your shoes or, or my shoes that have been in this game for quite some time, are, are we just looking for exits, right? Is, is that the next step? Because uh, I'll give you a, for instance, one of my students reached out to me today and said, Hey, uh, COVID has been really eye opening to me. I'm going to take a step back from my poker study for a while. My father owns a company that gets paid 250K a year, or sorry, a year, a month. Uh, and he wants to kind of hand over the reins to me. You know, I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts. And I'm just like, hey, man, I don't know necessarily what your poker ceiling is, but I know nobody's making 250 a month, or at least very few, right? And if he is interested in sponsoring <laughs> the poker sure. blogcast sure, sure. or Solve for Why, I think... They can afford it at 250 a month. It's possible. Nice. But I guess the point that I'm making is that like, you know, making $3 million a year is a pipe dream in this industry. So, you know, guys want to branch. We want to have some passive income. We want to create companies. We want to create worth and value to the world. How does this, how does this grow? I mean, I think there's a lot of talented, intelligent people in this community who are willing to do the work and who are willing to take on the risk. But it seems like there's almost too high of a barrier of entry to to make any needles move in this community. Yeah, I mean, when you look at it, okay, let's talk about the poker landscape right now. Who is the major grassroots group that speaks for the people? Mm. Probably nobody, nobody, right? It's for sure, splintered. Nobody. Yeah. Right. You got the Doug Polk section. You got the Matt Berkey section. Sure. You have, you know, uh, maybe the training sites. Okay. You have run it up. Okay. But there's nothing that really unifies to almost like, I don't want to say unionize because that's the wrong word, but what is one source where collectively all of us say like, oh yeah, that person or that group of people, they, they know what they're talking about. They, they speak for most of the community. There, there really isn't. For StarCraft, we had Team Liquid. I'm sure all of you guys know about Team Liquid uh, or heard of it uh, some way. But that was the major place that you went to back in the StarCraft days when it was just StarCraft. You went there, and that's where the major opinions of everybody that you could respect were there. And I'm not necessarily advocating for a forum necessarily, but I'm just identifying that we need this group. So for us, it was the group and uh, I guess the, the big 
people we're trying to move are the developers, right? The developers have all the control. They have all the money. They're the ones that really need to spend on the community for us to, to be lively or sponsors. But yeah. sponsors back in StarCraft Brood War uh, and the beginning of StarCraft II were few and far between. So here, our landscape, poker isn't really owned by anyone. But who are the big elephant in the room is going to be Poker Go, Poker Central. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. what they've done for the community is amazing. They have the highest quality everything, right? So their cameras are great. Their production quality is amazing. They have they bring on the best stars. They pay them a lot. Um, everything that I've experienced working with them has been really, really cool. However, there are some byproducts that have occurred with that. So now, let's say I want to hire Daniel Negreanu for a show, okay? And I'm this other poker company. Well, PokerGo treated Daniel Negreanu so well that his, I'm just throwing out a number, his, his day rate is 6K, 7K, 8K, whatever it is. Mm. How can I ever afford that, right? So you have this feast or famine, but it's, it's so dystopian. It's one single company, and then it's everyone else. And that everyone else doesn't really have a voice to compete with poker go right so it's really poker go and then it is controlling a lot of the premium talent and we're just asking them please 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 come help us come do something with us but until there's this you know what can what can argue or um come to the table with it them is we build a grassroots movement that kind of speaks for the people and is the people. So we know that if we put on content, people will come. And people will come in a very positive light, right? People want to be there, want to be part of the community. And that will pull some of the people that are working with Poker Go and, and Poker Central. And that will want them to come hang out with, you know, us us beggars. Yeah. Uh, this I, is this is an idea that we've we've kicked around. We've we've tried to implement it, but um, it kind of got paused with COVID coming to be. Uh, are you familiar with the Players Tribune? I am not. Okay, so uh, basically, it's a blogging platform that's controlled by beat writers for uh, major sports, all, all the major sports: baseball, football, basketball, hockey, Olympic sports, whatever. Right, um, and effectively, like they do a lot of the filler work. So they'll still have their, their articles, their, um, you know, their, their meaningful pieces. They'll write X amount per month or per week or whatever. I, I'm not too privy to it because I don't follow it that closely, but what makes it so unique and so special is it's the leading, uh, voice for the athletic community as a whole. So like, for instance, when Kobe retired, he wrote a piece on the player's tribune. Um, when LeBron left Cleveland the second time, he wrote a piece on the Players' Tribune. And uh, same thing when McCutcheon left Pittsburgh, he wrote a piece on the Players' Tribune, right? It, it brings this collectiveness to the community as a whole where everybody can agree that this is where the voice of the players will be heard from. And I thought it was a really cool idea to try to centralize that in a way that isn't corporate, right? Because that's really the the attractive thing about the Players' Tribune or Tribune is that as best I know, it's a uh, blogging platform that's run by the writers. It's it's not really owned by any particular publication, which could potentially be influencing it. And I think that's the challenge that we we kind of like run into as a company mm-hmm. ourselves, where it's like now we it, it appears like we're we're servicing our own needs, but the truth of yes. the matter is, 
I would be so happy with creating an anonymous YouTube site or an, an anonymous blogging platform or whatever the case may be that got full-blown commitment from the community where uh, you know the, the top 100 industry leaders voice their opinions uh, on the regular. You know what I mean? Like you, you could expect a hundred blogs a year from, from that collective one, just one blog each. That's it. From that mm -hmm. collective on that platform, you could expect one vlog each from that collective on that platform. And obviously that top 100 constantly churns. So you're going to get more than that because people are going to come, people are going to go, whatever the case may be organizing it. Uh, I mean, like, you know, I said my goal in 2020 was pure and utter collaboration on all fronts as best I could. And it's been such a fucking challenge, man. It's so hard to align people's interests, particularly if there's any likelihood that one person stands to profit. Yeah, th this is this is definitely one of the hardest things for, for you in particular, which is everybody, it, even this whole unification that you've been trying to, to push for. And I, I know as long as I've known you, you've you've wanted to do this. Um, you have the problem of people reading into incentives, mm -hmm. right? He's just doing goodwill because come join Sulfur White. Right. And, and it sucks because there's no way for you to control that narrative. Right. It, it just will always exist. Right. And it's like, it's um, never going to happen at the bigger platform because obviously poker go can't do the same. They become yeah. the, the enemy of sorts. And then it's hard also because now it's like, okay, let's talk about who has podcasts out. It's mainly the people that want to put podcasts on are like, you know, the Stapes show with poker stars, mm -hmm. um, the, the Marley and Kerstetter show with, uh, right with run at once. Mm -hmm. Where's all the money coming from to support these, these podcasts. And it always comes from the operators, which right. they have all the money, but, or ordinarily it would be like for, for esports, it'd be like, um, you know, uh, Kingston HyperX, you know, memories mm -hmm. where how, how biased can I be in my opinion when it's, you know, a, a memory card company? Um, and, and that's what poker doesn't really have. So it, it's, it's so difficult in the poker industry in particular. Um, can it happen? Maybe I feel like now that we're talking about it, I'm probably the best candidate to do all of this. Right, because yeah. I'm impartial. I'm not with anybody. Uh, Jason has rubbed off on me a lot, where his um, feelings about poker and how he wants to bring the fun back into it—that's all I want, right? Like, that's the the biggest thing he's imparted on me for poker in particular. So, um, who knows? Maybe maybe I just do stuff. Maybe I just work these guys extra, don't pay them, and you know, we'll figure it out. I know Berkey's not always on the same page with you, but like I'm, I'm definitely on the same page with you a lot of the time. And I'm glad you came on this podcast, the realest fucking podcast. We might sell out to Spotify. I don't know yet, but we'll keep you, we'll, we'll keep you in the loop. Yeah, I'd like one Spotify, please. <laughs> All right, thanks, man. I appreciate you. I guess. Peace. I like this show. I, this is this is probably my favorite of the fifty. This is how I go, right? This is my favorite. Nick's my least favorite. <laughs> <laughs> okay right and then there's everything in between right, right of you course know? of course shout out nick howard happy birthday big guy yeah, yeah. another iteration guy <laughs> um but i love i like the show i i'm really looking forward to season two uh i'm really looking forward to the hand histories i'm looking forward to the whole vlog thing 
and uh I'm, I'm happy that people tune in man like over 200 people tuning in live to hear you speak and especially andre sometimes yeah it's pretty strong i'm i'm uh i'm happy we made it to 50 i wasn't so confident the whole time when 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 was like your biggest doubt why why would you ask that question you know the fucking <laughs> answer <laughs> I don't know. Maybe the twelve weeks that you disappeared. No, so you didn't like Nick either. That's that's <laughs> that, that's really what you're saying right now. I understand. I understand you, Bergen. That's the that's the thing that people don't understand. Uh, all right. Well, I'm glad you all tuned in for this show, the finale of season one. Tune in season two without Conrad and a whole new show. Thank you all for all your support. We'll be back for season two, guys. I'm gonna give my production team. A little bit of breathing room. We hope that it's on Wednesday. Expect it on Wednesday. If not, go to his DMs, not mine. <laughs>